Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cocktail Hour. I'm Darren, and sitting across from me, as always, is Julie. You'll all be happy to know that Julie is back on the sauce. <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far, but... Oh, yeah, well, you know, she's having a drink. I'm having a drink. And it's actually an adult beverage. <laughs> I, myself, am drinking rum and a very popular cola that goes along with rum that we'll talk about when they want to pay me a shit ton of money to say their name. And uh, what do you got over there, Julie? I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. A Moscow Mule. Yeah, it's not well, a... A little refreshing summertime. Yeah, I tried a little sip of it. It's not too bad. It's not in the traditional copper uh, mug, but no. one of these times we'll have to make those from, from scratch. She's having one that's uh, as pre-mixed and uh, uh, placed on a shelf in a grocery store, and you, you just buy it outright. There are a lot of people who like to do that. I'm I'm a purist. I like to, to mix my drinks uh, uh, organically. I'm sort of a mixologist, I guess. Uh, I sometimes have to use the I book. I say that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy making good cocktails, and sometimes they they sneak up on you, as anybody who's been to one of my raging parties can attest that they... I can neither confirm or deny. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, last time we were at, we on the cocktail hour, we said that we were going to discuss uh, how to be a good ally, and uh, not just with the Black Lives Matter movement, but with, with anybody. And uh, we do have a couple of friends that we're going to have on... Um, and well, this will kind of wind up being a two-parter. I uh, wanted to start out today, though, talking a little bit more about the uh, the real estate market in Des Moines. As uh, I went and looked at a couple of houses today, and boy, people are just asking top dollar for stuff that needs a lot of work. And uh, the places that don't need a lot of work are going fast. And if they're not going fast, they've got multiple offers that people are sitting on in the hopes that they'll get more, which... You know, come to the cocktail hour at hotmail.com, or excuse me, the hot, the cocktail hour at yahoo.com, or go to our Facebook page or group, the cocktail hour, and tell me what your experiences are with this. But uh, I kind of feel that it's unethical. Uh, I went to an open house today on a house that is already very expensive for the neighborhood that it's in, for the size that it is, for the amount of amenities that it has. And uh, fortunately, they had already done a lot of work on it, so it is turnkey and move-in ready. But when I was at this open house, the real estate agent that was there informed me that, oh yeah, we already have multiple offers on the place. And so I asked, you know, then why are you having an open house? Well, they, of course, they want to see if they can get more. And, uh, you know, and that's a waste of my time. I'm not going to get in a bidding war with anybody over a house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll buy a trailer and pull it behind my truck and just park it in the Walmart parking lot and sleep there, you know, before I go getting into this huge bidding war with people on a house. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know what to think about all of that. And, uh, you know, because I, I said, well, then you've already got offers that are more than what you're asking for. And I'm not going to, you know, I, I give people two hours to get me an answer on the uh, on the offers that I make on homes. Mm-hmm. And um, so she's, well, I can't really confirm, you know, that we've had, I'm like, you know what, all right, fine. I'm giving you a full price offer right now. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And she had to leave it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, that's, that's crap. It's, it's crap. It's, and I know what's going on in the market. And uh, Des Moines is getting out of control. 
I don't know. What do you think, Julie? What What was your experience buying buying your house? So a couple of things. It's definitely. It was a buyer's market when I bought my house. Um, I think right now it's a seller's market. And mm-hmm. I think that's because interest rates have gone down so low that people are in a hurry to buy a house because they want to take advantage of the really low interest rates. Uh, so when I bought my house uh, two years ago, it was definitely a, a buyer's market. And uh, so I could be picky and whatever, but I had... I mean, for all intents and purposes, an okay experience. Um, it was my first experience actually buying a home. Although, having kind of grown up professionally in the mortgage industry, that side of it I knew. Um, but from a realty perspective, I had a very interesting experience. And uh, I offered less than they listed the price for. Um and they counter-offered. And uh, basically, I accepted their counter-offer and bought my house. Uh, found out some things during the inspection, which I'm really glad that is part of the process now, um, that kind of required some uh, attention that got fixed by the sellers, which I think was also good. And um, I just... Uh, I mean, I, I had a good experience. Uh, I think, I mean, looking back on it, I, I, I'm comfortable saying I may have overpaid a little bit for this house. You know, but coincidentally enough, the appraisal came in at exactly the sale price. Every house I've ever bought, the appraisal has come in at exactly the selling price, which is, you know, hey, and home inspections for the most part are a scam you know they're there to push houses as much as anybody else and you know don't don't fool yourself folks you know the the domicile market is is just a capitalist market the same as anything else and they want you to to buy 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 and the big thing that they're selling with these are mortgages and uh, so that they can make money on the uh, on the mortgage and you know so as long as you got a good credit rating you're going to be able to get a house as long as the market isn't getting you know, snatched up the second things are going on the on the market. And if they're not getting snatched up, I'm suddenly finding out in this particular market in the Midwest that they're sitting on offers in the hopes that they're going to get people into a bidding war. And, uh, you know, it's... I Yeah, so I... Um, to that point, Darren, that, that seems fishy to me. That definitely, you use the term unethical, and I think that that is accurate. Um, if you, the thing about the real estate market is if you have an idea in mind on what you want your, to sell your house for, list it that way and let the market dictate whether you need to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this business of holding on to bids and thinking you can create a bidding war and that sort of thing is really kind of manipulating the system in my view. Which, I mean, okay, so we can have the conversation at some point about how every single financial system in the country is manipulated in some shape, form, or fashion. But when you're talking about homes, I guess I don't... If you're convinced the market's going to bear that anyway, why not just be open about it and put it out there of, hey, I think 
this house based on the research that my realtor has done, which is the reason why you get a realtor to sell your house, uh, it's worth $195,000. And I think the realtors themselves are the ones that are doing this. I mean, a lot of them are going to put, you know, if they, if they put a house on the market for ten, maybe 20000 less than what the market will bear, then what they're doing is because for them, that's only a few hundred bucks. For the owner, that's another fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in their pocket. So if they can make twenty thousand dollars, yeah, theoretically, if they can make twenty thousand dollars on the house that they're selling for somebody versus twenty thousand eight hundred dollars by putting it on the market for twenty thousand less than it's worth in the hopes that it's gonna which is what the real estate agent that uh, happened when we sold our last house, and I talked about that a little bit the last time. I wanted to put that house on the market for more than than uh, what it wound up selling for, mm -hmm. and it still wound up selling for ten thousand more than uh, what they had, what the asking price was. Yeah. And uh, what really torqued me off about it, though, is the amount of sweat equity I put into that place, and the amount of you know the the love and heart that I put into it, and the real estate. Uh, company took seven percent of that. Of uh, they take seven percent of the entire amount, mm -hmm. which is insane. Mm -hmm. You know, and you, I know they don't do that on million dollar, two million dollar homes. They're going to take less because they make more. But you know, that's that's my sweat equity. That's that's my twenty five thousand dollars that they took, and all they did is took a few pictures and put it online. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, oh, they told us, oh, we have to do the marketing. We have to. Do I'm like, you're going to pay a couple of hundred bucks to a professional photographer to come in and take pictures that, you know, not to toot my own horn, I can take myself and that, you know, you, nobody else did anything. That house sold itself because of the work that I put into it. Uh, so I had some decisions to make because I am not handy <laughs> And I don't have a, uh, a partner that uh, is helping me in this endeavor uh, who's I'd say you do a little bit. Either. You do a little bit. You got your windows replaced and... Well, yeah, but yeah. I happen to use my ex-husband because I know what his quality of work is. <laughs> um, but I assure you, I paid full price for labor and the windows. I just want everybody to make note that Julie uses her ex's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I hired my ex because honestly, I trust him. Right. Um, and like I said, I know the quality of the work that he does. Uh, so, um, and you know, I split that job. I did half the windows in the fall of 2019, and I did the other half of the windows this past spring. And, um, you know, there's other work that needs to be done to this house. Um, at the same time, I firmly believe that if I were to put this house on the market today right now, I would make my money back instantly and then some. Well, after two years, I mean, this and in this neighborhood that you're in, mm -hmm. uh, you've probably gone up five, six percent uh, just in the last two years. So, yeah, you would make your money and probably have have some money to put in your pocket if that's what your deal is. Now, my personal opinion on it is we've we're really doing the wrong thing with homes. You know, say more about that. Well, homes are where we live. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be an investment, you know, kind of a thing in the whole, you know, people rely on their homes. Well, we, that's, this is what got us into trouble in 2008. 
is people were using their homes as a credit account. And they kept refinancing and refinancing and refinancing so they could buy cars and take vacations and do all this other stuff. And, you know, not to mention you have to refinance your home just to do basic needed maintenance. When you need a new water heater and a new furnace and a new air conditioner and a new roof and new windows, I mean, that's getting into the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for each individual one of those. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a house you know, to buy that they want premium price for to begin with, mm -hmm. and it needs the basement to be redone and it needs a new water heater and it needs a roof mm -hmm. and the garage is falling down mm -hmm. you know i mean this house that i looked at this morning that they wanted premium dollar for for the neighborhood that it's in mm -hmm. i'm looking at 18 to twenty-five thousand dollars to put into the place before i even move in mm -hmm. and that's after paying the high dollar worth of the home couple of things I want to go back to your comment about um, 2008 and people using their homes as a source of financing. So I have some, again, I have been in and out of the mortgage industry since the early 1990s as a professional. Um, and part of that experience educated me very early on that when you are going through the pre-approval or pre-qualification process, you are being, um, it's in the best interest of the banks from their perspective that you have this amount of disposable income based on your gross income. Mm -hmm. So uh, to use my own experience, uh, when my mortgage person came back and told me that as a single woman, okay, single woman, single income household, um, that I was that I qualified for a house with the price of two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I, I kind of laughed when I got the letter. I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth I would ever do that to myself. Right, because then the the banks will let you go fifty what fifty one percent of your gross income. Yep. Yeah. The well debt to income ratio, yes. Yes. Um. So I knew. First of all, there is no way in hell I would ever pay that kind of money for a house for myself. My children are grown. Yes, I want to have a place for them to come home to and to visit, but I would never um, max out my capacity to expend income to that degree. However, I also know particularly when people get caught up in the idea of buying their perfect home, that they see that number, they lose all logical thought process. Perspective goes right out the window. Or they completely trust the bankers, which newsflash people, please don't ever trust your bankers. Don't ever. Especially mortgage bankers. Um, sorry, Shadi. That's I love you, and you've always taken very good care of me. However, <laughs> um, anyway, Shadi's my banker. Um, 
you, you get glossy-eyed and you get so excited about the potential of getting what you want and having the perfect thing that you lose concept of what is this really going to cost me at the end of the day? And I hear people having conversations like, oh, I'll get a second job. So when you're being evaluated to determine what your capability to pay for a home is, people, they're not taking into account, like for real, they're not taking into account what it costs to keep your kid in sports, what your potential expenses are for uh, medical expenses outside of what your insurance may cover. They're not taking into account what you're paying in your premiums because they're building your profile based on your gross income. Not yeah, they don't your even take, take into pay. consideration your taxes. Right. So I look at that and I think, hey, I know what's coming into my bank account every two weeks. At the time, I knew what I was paying in rent. And, you know, I, I was renting a nice two-bedroom apartment on a nice part of town and uh, had a lot of extra income to do things for myself. So I decided what am I going to be comfortable with? when it comes to making a house payment. So that's how I backed myself into making a house payment and accounting for, I knew I was gonna probably double my square footage, which just for a rough estimate, I'm gonna double my utility bills. I mean, all of these things to take into account that none of which goes through the process of the actual evaluation of your mortgage worthiness. Not to mention that one of the things people very rarely take into consideration, you know, a word I hear thrown around a lot, and I even get people arguing with me about it sometimes, and um, uh, is the term permanent structure. And, you know, houses are considered a permanent structure. Well, let me let, me let you in on a little secret, folks. There, there's no such thing as a permanent structure. The second something goes up, the earth is trying to knock it down. And you're constantly fighting off the earth to keep that structure. And there is no such, not even in nature. And I had some, well, rocks are permanent. I'm like, no, they are not. Rocks are not permanent structures. It takes a while for them to erode away from wind and rain and weather and helmet mm -hmm. for leather and all that kind of shit. <laughs> but there is, even rocks are not a permanent structure. Mm -hmm. Those things change in their structure over time. Mm -hmm. And so the thing about homes is it's, there's never one thing going wrong in a home. It's one goddamn thing after another. Mm -hmm. And it is a constant struggle to keep that thing up. So you're, the moment you buy that place, you're working on it. Yeah, and I think that's true. And from my experience, I underestimated that part of it when I bought this house. Like, I knew... You know, based on everything that I could see with my naked eye, the things that were going to have to be done. Um, at the same time, there's other things like, you know, I didn't count on the what appeared to be freshly finished hardwood floors flaking up within 12 months of me being here. Um, <laughs> oh, and they flake up. Oh, man. Mine, I'm not sure what's on them, but. It had to be a do-it-yourself job, <laughs> and it was not a very well-done do-it-yourself job. But, boy, it sure looked pretty at the open house. Mm -hmm. um, so just, you know, little things like that. Um, other things, just uh, just basic little things that, to your point, Darren, start to add up over time. So it's not – I mean, I have 
just on my kind of to-do list and it's not none of it's urgent none of it is urgent but I have probably 10 years worth of work and why what I say when 10 years it's because I want to I don't have the money to front it right now and get it all done right that's not where I came from I have to save and spend and save and spend and save and spend and in order to do that and all the things that I want to do to this little house it's going to take me 10 years to really do all the things that I want to do to it, to mm-hmm. make it the house that I want it to be. Yep. Um, and at the same time, you know, being 50 um, and thinking really, you know, I'm hopefully within 15, 20 years of retirement. How much money do I really want to start throwing at this thing yep. if this isn't my forever home? Do I mean, I just... Both of my children no longer live in the same state I live in. I don't know that they're ever going to come back. So do I want to be tied to a house that my children may or may not come home to visit to? Or do I want to have the freedom and the flexibility to go visit them? And how does that impact the work that I choose to do or not do on this house? Mm-hmm. And totally different conversation I'm having with myself than I was two years ago when I bought this thing. Yep. And it's, you know, so it kind of comes down to a rent versus purchase kind of a thing. And, um, you know, obviously with rent, you know, when something goes wrong with the house or the home that you're living in, that you call the landlord. And if you got a good landlord, they come fix it. Well, you hear horror stories constantly about them, you know, taking their sweet time to come take care of things that are necessities for the home. And you also have the argument that you're, you know, you're just peeing your money down a rat hole. Um, you know, and homes are a hole in the ground into which one pours money. And, uh, yes. And the theory is you'll get your money back and hopefully then some, like they still aren't an investment. Yeah. And, uh, if you, if you ever sell, I mean, and that was the idea back in the way back in the day Mm -hmm. was when you were able to purchase homes, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly post-World War II, you know, they, that was the thing that they did for the, the GIs and the mm-hmm. sailors that were coming back was they made affordable homes that mm-hmm. they could buy. And you had people who lived in them the rest, you know, their entire lives. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where that thought process went. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, when you put up a brand new structure and mm-hmm. it's done well and it's done right, you got 30 years before it starts to deteriorate. So mm-hmm. when you got had guys in there, you know, mid late 20s coming back from war uh buying a house you know then by the time they were ready to retire from whatever job they got after the war mm-hmm. you know, that's when that house would start to deteriorate and uh you know so yeah i don't know it's a it's a it's a tough thing to deal with it's depressing um the market like i said is is just out of control here in a place that you know and i still have you know the housemate that i'm staying with right now uh still um, says without reservation, oh, never happened here, never happened here. And yeah. uh, we talked about that on our last podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that doesn't explain, you know, because of the weather. And, uh, but that doesn't explain Minnesota, doesn't mm-hmm. explain Chicago, nope. you know. So, you know, the weather's not great in those places. <clears throat> Portland, Seattle, rains constantly, you know. Mm-hmm. So then no place has perfect weather. They all have their things. Mm-hmm. California has its earthquakes, even though it's got the good weather. So, you know, you could have an argument that it's never going to happen in a particular area for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and yet it does. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, so, you know, Des Moines is getting out of control in the real estate market. I feel like I've missed the boat. And, um, you know, I'm depressed about that. If I'd have held on to my, my other house in Windsor Heights, you know, and toughed it out. But even with that, I couldn't, I can't afford, I couldn't afford on my own the taxes on that, the property mm-hmm. taxes on that place now. Yep. And, uh, you know. Just- and that's just the half of it, folks. Everybody, oh, if it wasn't ta- for taxes, I'd be okay. No, you wouldn't. Everything's out of control. And nobody wants to pay anybody to do anything. But they want your services. They want your labor. You know, what happened to the days when one salary could buy a house and take care of a family of four or five? And, uh, you know, because it's like, you know, I've been approved up to an amount, same, kind of the same, same yep. as you were talking mm-hmm. about, an amount that there's no way in hell that I would even consider making an offer that high mm-hmm. because it would leave me cash poor. Right. And nothing that I could do, you know, at yep. the high end, if I were to go towards the high end, and I do yep. have some money from the sale of that other house, right. although I'd have a hell of a lot more if they're, if the blood sucking real estate agents hadn't taken so much of it. Um, I would have a lot more to Are put you bitter, down. Darren? <laughs> I didn't. I well, you know, there was a whole, there's a yeah. whole thing around that, there that whole is. idea, or that whole time uh, in my life and everything that went down. But uh, um, you know, I'd have, I'd, I, I'd have more. And you know, it seems it, as the cost of housing has gone up, the amount, the percentage that real estate agents take has gotten higher. Mm. And um, depend. Well, when I was doing. Real estate business in back in Oregon, you know the agent that maybe it was just the agent we used, but it was around four percent, and so, pricing on houses was a lot less. Now it's up to like seven percent, and pricing of houses is at least a hundred percent higher in Des Moines than it was twenty years ago. Or not a hundred percent, but um, hundred percent a little stiff. It's a little stiff. It's a little stiff. But uh, feel like I'm exaggerating a little bit. I think maybe <laughs> a little bit. But uh, you know pricing of housing has has gotten much much higher but and that said you know the house that i'm staying in right now where i'm renting the loft was appraised out at two hundred thousand dollars just a few years ago mm-hmm. and now it's appraised out at 260 yep so you know mm-hmm. i mean that's a what 30 mm-hmm. percent and that's just five a few years yep uh you know so yeah. go back 20 years you know when they bought it mm-hmm. and it was under well under yeah uh Two hundred thousand, probably mm-hmm. around one hundred and fifty at the time. Probably. So you know, I don't know. It's it's out of control, and salaries are not going up in well, at so the same rate. Yeah. So let's talk about what the real dynamic is here, because um, I think it's not just about you know housing prices being outrageous. Not all houses are priced outrageously, and the market is very very hot right now. Um, you know, the second part of the equation equation is wages and how they are increasing respective to other costs associated with living in general. So, and another example for me, just that is so incredibly mind blowing to me is, um, again, my kids are grown and I'm, uh, empty nester. And when I hear what people are paying for daycare right now. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
I, there's, there's no way. There's, there's, I don't know how they're doing it. I, I really don't know how they're doing it. Um, because there are, I know people who pay more for their daycare than I pay for my mortgage, which for all intents and purposes, they're going to work to pay for daycare. And to me, that makes zero sense whatsoever. I've seen that happen a lot over the years. I mean, back in the, uh, I worked with a gal, and I was a certified nurse's assistant back in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to kind of give you an idea, people don't really understand, you know, when we talk about what what people are worth, what people are, are doing, what their job is worth. I mean, those are the CNAs are the people that are taking care of your, your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, and, uh, you know, looking forward to the future, eventually you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those folks are paid at now a little bit more than minimum wage. You're looking mm-hmm. at probably 12 to $15 an hour to do that job. At the mm-hmm. time... Uh, at the place that we were working, we were making six, seven dollars an hour back in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the gals that I worked with had two kids, mm-hmm. and she was paying two dollars an hour per child for a babysitter. Mm-hmm. So four dollars an hour while she was at work for somebody to watch her two kids, and she was only making six dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, do the math. Mm-hmm. Do the math. And, uh, you know, so, and people have to go to their parents for help and they have to have, you know, granted she was divorced or getting divorced and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so I had a husband who was contributing some and there was, right. but there was lots of fighting and consternation and right. blah, 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 as there always is in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. And the kids were young, two and five and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so it's, I, you're right. How in the fuck do people do it? Yeah. And uh, it's it and it is it's just barely people are hanging on by their fingernails mm-hmm. and they could lose everything one illness. Oh, you mean like? <laughs> I don't know. I won't say. It. I, don't know. I yeah, won't yeah. say. We, it, we're not going to yes. talk about that today. We're yes. going to purposefully people not are talk about one that today. Paycheck away from losing their lives. Everything. Yes. From losing everything. Everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, you know, what do you do? What do you do? The Cocktail Hour at Yahoo.com or Facebook, uh, The Cocktail Hour on our page and our group. Mm-hmm. Come talk to us. Nobody's talking to us. I'm, it's it's hurting my, it's starting to hurt my feelings. <laughs> Mr. Thickskin over here yeah. is getting his feelings I'm hurt. Getting my, I'm hurt right in the, it's right here in the feels. <laughs> nobody's talking to us. Nobody's giving us any, any, uh, uh, feedback. Yeah. Yeah. We want your feedback. We want you yeah. to talk to us. We want to talk to you. We want to know what's going on out there in your world. But, uh, I mean, we could have a whole discussion around, you know, how, and it was all based around, uh, at the time, mm-hmm. gender assignments. Um, and I think that's where kind of things ca- fell apart is that when when women started to go to work and you started to see and it's not about tread carefully no 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 <laughs> I, it's I, I absolutely am all for women having the career to me it's not about who stays home with the kids mm-hmm. or who stays home and takes care of the house right. it's that somebody does mm-hmm. any salary whether a woman earns it or a man earns it mm-hmm. should be enough to purchase a modest home, and be able to raise a couple of kids 
and to have decent running cars and to be able to take care of that structure of the home and take care of those vehicles to get you back and forth. And we should have a better public transportation system so people can get back to forth, back and forth with ease. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It's not a, a, a sex assignment to me. Right. It's whoever decides that they're going to work should be able to be the breadwinner for that family. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, one of the problems that I feel for women uh, that they had, particularly at the time. Uh, is people didn't put a value on what a house wife or house husband mm -hmm. does. Taking care of a home, taking care of the kids, that's full-time, hard, balls-to-the-wall work. Mm -hmm. And having to do that while also keeping a full-time job is even worse. So, it, you know, to me, it, it doesn't matter who's working. It doesn't matter which one of the parents decides to have the career or has the, the qualifications to have a career that makes the kind of money that can buy you the things that you want out of life. One salary should be able to raise a family. You know, and we, we people talk about like minimum wage and whatnot, and they throw out these random this random number. Right now the random number appears to be fifteen dollars an hour. That's what everybody seems to be in general agreement, those who believe that there should be a minimum wage in the first place. Mm -hmm. That $15 an hour is, is it. Well, the problem with throwing out a, a random specified number is that it doesn't work in certain places. You know, $15 an hour is too much for Podunk Nowhere, Iowa, or Nebraska, or Arkansas. But it's way too much, or it's, it's not nearly enough for New York City. Los Angeles, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, to me, when you're discussing things like minimum wage, okay, well, let's talk about that. How much does it cost to have a two-bedroom apartment or home mm -hmm. no more than 15 minutes away from where you work, a decent running vehicle that gets you back and forth that is easy to maintain, how much does gas cost, how much does food cost? How much does, you know, the, the average, you know. I'm not saying everybody should be eating steak and lobster tail for every single meal, but it shouldn't have to be ramen fucking noodle either. Right? Yeah. I mean, can we agree on that? Yeah. I mean, we can. Everybody? Sure. You know, not just you. I know you agree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, but, so how much does that cost? How much does it cost to maintain a modest lifestyle with a, let's say, a two-week vacation somewhere nice every year, how much does that cost? That should be the minimum wage, not some random frickin' number that people throw out there. Well, I hear what you're saying, and I think part of the issue that comes into play there is who gets to decide? The market. What? Well... No. <laughs> no, they don't. Because what you think is a modest car that gets me to and from point A to B is different than what I think a modest car is. Um, what I think a modest home is is going to be different, most likely, than what you think a modest home is. And whether or not I choose to spend 15 minutes or two hours on my commute to work um, is a choice that I get to make by the very fact that I live in the United States of America. So, uh, you know, you could make the argument that 
I mean, if you want to go work at Target for $15 an hour, that's your right. Go for it. Uh, there are some people that would say, as a grown adult, that's probably not a really responsible decision. Whole other topic of conversation we can have around that, yeah. right? Um, you know, you get the people who chime in and say, well, that's why you go to college, or that's why you go get educated for a skilled trade. Or, I mean, there's so many things that come into play about what makes something reasonable or logical that <laughs> we muddy the waters. Because a lot of us want to think that this is a black and white, right and wrong issue. And the truth of the matter is, it's not. It, it just, it isn't. And frankly, it never will be. If it gets to the point, we're talking Brave New World, and no thank you. I'm not interested. I read the book. Um, although I think we're rapidly getting there. Uh, um, in terms of what? In terms of... There will be groups or factions in the society that get to determine your worthiness and what you're actually capable of, and thereby separating you or designating you to a certain career to be identified not necessarily by your name, but by a number or by the occupation that you have. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not okay with that. I'm not, um, that is not what this country is about. Uh, that is not, the fact of the matter is that people still like to go shopping at Target. Well, there has to be people there to stock shelves and help at the cash registers and keep things clean and whatever. It's the same way with people who, whether they like to go eat at McDonald's or they like to go eat at the 801 Chop House. There's still things that have to be done. And what's the market going to bear? But do you think that... Uh you know, particularly at the childhood level, because we talk about, you know, I mean, and you were talking about education a little bit mm -hmm. earlier, and, you, you know, you should get a college education. Well, we have a huge amount of people right now who don't believe that education is worth anything, uh, who are only able to express those uh, thoughts in words and writing it down on the inner toilet because, you know, they had a teacher that taught them how to write and read and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, I've always felt, you know, and it, it, it may very well be a slippery slope. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, as a society, we should be helping, you know, because people are on their own. And people are kind of on their own, even at early education. It's like, oh, you get to decide to be whatever you want. Well, mm -hmm. if you decide to be something that you're not capable of becoming, um, you know, when that doesn't happen, I mean, what happens to you at that point? And um, so one of the th things I've always felt with education, besides the fact that it, it's, its intent, as we've talked about before, is to teach you how to learn, not necessarily shove random bits of trivial information into your brain like it's a jelly, your brain's a jelly, your head's a jelly donut and needs to be filled with this stuff. It teaches you how to learn, you know, different things. But we find out early on what somebody's interests are. You know, what a child, where's this child's interests going? Where does he excel or she excel? And how can we help them walk down that path as opposed to forcing them down that path? And, and you know, the draconian, you know, Orwellian 1984 world of mm. assigning them some job, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, based on what, mm -hmm. 
uh, because that's one thing that 1984 doesn't actually cover is how people were assigned the things that they were assigned to do. Was it random? Was it based on uh, the way that they uh, they learn? Was it based on, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And would that lead us necessarily down that path? Mm-hmm. And um, But that was one of the things, one of the schools that, that my son went to was, was really good at, mm-hmm. was kind of seeing where these children excelled and helping them envision what that's going to look like for them in the future Mm -hmm. and how they can walk that path successfully Mm -hmm. and do the things that they want to do the things that 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 they find joy in Mm -hmm. and uh and like that so but to immediately dismiss that as something as a slippery slope that would immediately become draconian and push people towards uh, things that they wouldn't necessarily want to do. And, and maybe it would. I mean, you know, what if everybody, what if we discovered that everybody in the world had the ability to do something more and now all of a sudden, where are the housekeepers? Where are the cashiers? Where are the, you know, those things that people consider to be unskilled labor? Um, I don't know. I don't know. So part of what you know comes to my mind when you're talking about education, you know, we've got these standardized tests in place that, you know, so and we've again we've talked about this before. We're teaching people how to take tests. <laughs> we're not we're not teaching them to um, hone their skills really we're not teaching them to discover appreciate and develop their gifts and talents we're teaching them how to take tests and until there's a dramatic shift in our education system which ain't gonna happen this year uh you know we're, we're fighting the same battles over and over and over and you know i have we went to school with people who no interest in going to college even or maybe they'd convinced themselves they couldn't afford it even though they were gifted intelligent people that even um, adopting a trade or a skilled labor type position um, was just not even on their radar they had been so discouraged and so Um, deflated by the quote-unquote modern education system that they were, I mean, for lack of a better term, oppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how many times have we passed up the cure for cancer? You know, because some kid who lives in an area that's impoverished and just absolutely, but is brilliant Mm -hmm. and could be brilliant, Mm -hmm. but sits in a classroom where the teacher spends 40% of their time with three problem kids mm-hmm. and, you know, and they're twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. You know, we're not finding out where these children's, uh, what's the word for it, um, where they can uh, benefit from education mm-hmm. And, and walk them down that path. You know, we don't have to drive them. We don't have to force them. Mm-hmm. You find out what children like. You find out where children excel. Mm-hmm. And you walk them down that path. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and I don't know. It's It could be, there could be an argument. Well, you know, every kid would want to be an NBA star or an NFL star. And it's like, well, yeah, but, and that one, that's not true. And two, you know, even if that's what you want, you probably should still pass your underwater basket weaving classes just in case that doesn't yeah. work out like it doesn't for 99.99% yeah. sure of people. Make sure you have a plan B. Yeah, make sure you got a plan B. And, um, you know, so if you don't necessarily excel at a certain thing, but that's your passion, then that can become your hobby. Yeah. But you still need to find something that, that you can do and somebody should be there to help you. I mean, the, I hate to say it like this, but the, uh, um, uh, what do they call them? The kids at school, uh, or the, what do you have at school that's supposed to help you with your, a, uh, um, not your teachers, but your counselors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have counselors at schools. And uh, we had one where my son came, when we came from Portland, we put him, he went to this school. And they, they didn't know what to do with him because mm-hmm. the private school that we had in Portland didn't do grades. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have a grading system for it. It was more like an international baccalaureate program. And I'm not saying my kid's exceptional. I love my son. I think he's awesome. I think he's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. He's a normal kid. He's a normal kid who's had a lot of doors open to him mm-hmm. that we provided um, through great expense, <laughs> through great expense. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's walked through those doors. I mean, the kid speaks, you know, fluent. You know, they put him in. Uh, he was a freshman when we brought him out, when we came out here to Iowa. And he wound up in a, in the best they could do for him at the time or so they thought because they didn't know what to do, was they put him in the level two French mm-hmm. high school class. Mm-hmm. And just to give you an idea, you know, that was, that's where the seniors mm-hmm. who've been taking French since freshman year mm-hmm. go. And they passed out some form that you, you filled out a couple of things in French on, and then the teacher would come around and ask you those questions, those things like your name and mm-hmm. where do you live and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Connor started answering the questions, and the next thing you know... Uh, the teacher asks him something in in French, you know, mm-hmm. you hey, you have kind of a French accent and it's obvious that, you know, you mm-hmm. speak a little bit higher level. Mm-hmm. Well, they wound up, you know, having a 10-minute conversation mm-hmm. in French mm-hmm. on the first day of this class mm-hmm. and the teacher's like, "Yeah, you're in the wrong class." Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I, he Connor told me, uh, my son told me after it was all done, um, he said he heard one of the kids in the back of the room go whisper to somebody else that was fucking awesome (laughs) and uh, you know so my son speaks fluent french and i'm not bragging on that because he's like super intelligent knows french no Mm -hmm. we put him in a foreign language program Mm -hmm. early on Mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do with that at a public school a public high school and um you know so he wound up in college level Mm -hmm. you know french classes Mm -hmm. and as a fact as a junior, mm-hmm. has gone as far as a, a freshman, or excuse me, a sophomore, went as far as he could go, has yeah. earned all the college credits he can earn in French language, mm-hmm. and is now taking Chinese. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, so um, it's, where was I going with that, is <laughs> is that, you know, it's, we needed to, to identify mm-hmm. where children excel and move them forward in those areas. And uh, and I'm not even saying he excels at foreign language. He's just had the instruction. Well, but I think, you know, 
Connor had the luxury, and it is a luxury, of being in mm-hmm. a private school for a long time. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is our public schools will probably never be in a position to do that and offer that to students. At an earlier age. And see, and that's where the key is. And, uh, you know, because I asked that mm-hmm. uh, when I was in high school. I'm like, why did we start taking, you know, Spanish, German, French, whatever, way back when, when we were in kindergarten? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the answers I got from a teacher was, we're American and everybody wants to speak English. Yeah. And not only is that complete and total and utter bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, it's arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's it's arrogant. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that foreign language does for a child is it wires their brain for other things. Mm-hmm. Mathematics, you know, science. Mm-hmm. Music. Music. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so w- you, those things are extremely important at all at all levels. Mm-hmm. You don't have to you know, play a musical instrument your entire life, but mm-hmm. you should learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, you should learn how to do it. You should learn a foreign language early on. You should, you know, it's those kinds of things. We, he uh, thought in French. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even, and, and don't think I picked French because, you know, I'm a Francophile or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, any... Any French rifle, you know, that you buy, you know, is a, is a great rifle to buy. It's only, it's never been fired and it's only been dropped once. But <laughs> the the thing about it was, is that we just wanted him to learn a foreign language. And right. it happened to be French because that's what we got him in. There was a lottery school mm-hmm. in, in Oregon that would have started him out in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And he actually got into it. Well, they do this thing in, in particularly in Portland uh, where if it's a private school that teaches a program that starts in early education, mm-hmm. foreign language, or anything like that, they have these things called lottery schools. Mm-hmm. And you can put in for the lottery school, but any private school that you've put in for expects a monetary obligation mm-hmm. up front mm-hmm. prior to you finding out whether or not you got into that lottery school. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason they do that is so that, and this is a good idea, mm-hmm. is so that people who have lesser means mm-hmm. have a better opportunity of getting into those lottery schools. Right. And it hurt. It hurt mm-hmm. paying for a private school mm-hmm. when we could have got him into the Japanese immersion program, which mm-hmm. we did. He was accepted. Mm-hmm. But we had already made a monetary obligation to the French school, school. to the Mm -hmm. French school. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but there was somebody who else, who was also in that French school who put in for that Japanese immersion lottery who got into it. And then when there were 40 kids in the classroom, pulled them out out and put them right back into the -hmm. the same school. Because at that school, folks, there were 12 students to a teacher. And, Mm -hmm. you know... I'm a BLS instructor, basic life support, mm-hmm. and they won't let me teach more than 12 adults. And let me, let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. It's because any more than a group of 12 adults becomes unruly mm-hmm. and hard to manage. Yet, we'll stick 40 kids. Five-year-olds. Five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds mm-hmm. in a classroom with one, with teacher. one teacher and expect that you know, teacher to perform at unbelievable levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We're doing it wrong, kids. We're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, you know, we talk about how we value education, and I will argue that, no, we don't really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't really. Or we would equip teachers and schools to do the things that we expect them to do adequately. And frankly, as parents, now I'm getting on my soapbox. As parents, we would teach our children discipline and respect before they ever got to school. You need discipline and structure. Because I have, (laughs) even when I was raising my children, I could not comprehend how um, teachers were expected to educate children and discipline children because their parents weren't doing their job. Um, And it baffles me to this day. My friends did not become teachers to um, teach your children right from wrong and teach them what respect is and teach them what it means to be a good human being. That's your job. That is not a teacher's job. A teacher's job is to teach your child about math and science, and English, and music, or whatever that is. Teach them how to learn about those things. Yes. Yeah. So I, we we don't value education. And And the fact that we expect teachers to do unbelievable things with 30 or more kids in their classroom without any help, and with children who are unruly and haven't been taught, whose parents aren't parenting, is ridiculous and sticking them in the same room with kids who excel and kids who are average you know for all intents and purposes because that was one of the things that that was a problem with the portland public school system was that they had not only discontinued the tag program (laughs) excuse me the tag program the talented and gifted program they also discontinued the um Oh, what do they call it? Remedial. The uh, the remedial program. So they had these ultra large classes with tag children and remedial children with regular, you know, with kids who learned at a regular level. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, so what do you think's going to happen? What do you think's going to happen to the country? What do you think, you know, when you when you do that to our educational system? So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we we digress on that. Um, that that's why the Des Moines housing market's out of control. So now that we've somehow gone from uh, talking about how the real estate market problems are directly related to education. <laughs> I think, I think it's all right. interrelated. Well, you, of course you, it is. Yeah, of course it is. It's not a coincidence. Um, we're going to wrap it for the day. But we did kind of come completely off of our uh, original <laughs> agenda. Our plan was to talk about how to be an ally. Yes. And I am actually kind of happy that we were able to, to get a full conversation on something completely different. Uh, but we do want to talk about that. And it's not just about Black Lives Matter, folks. So don't be like, oh, God, they're going to tell you. No, there's a whole group of several, several groups of people out there that need allies, that need help. And yeah. don't don't think for a second that uh, that people aren't being oppressed at, at all levels for all different reasons. Right. Yeah. So to that point. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about what allies are and honestly what they're not. Uh, and then we're also going to be able to have an opportunity to chat with a couple friends of ours um, to kind of give us some perspective about how those of us who are interested in being allies can come alongside those people who experience oppression of any kind 
those marginalized communities, if you will, and how we can best uh, support them. So tune in next week for the cocktail hour. And if you have any suggestions for us for cocktails or things that you liked about the show, things that you didn't like the show about the show, uh, how you can send us money, um, <laughs> contact us at thecocktailhour at yahoo.com. Or you can check us out on our Facebook page and group, both titled the same name, The Cocktail Hour. And uh, let us know what you think. We want to hear your feedback. I'm... Don't know how many more times I can ask We're that. We're in desperate need of your feedback. Totally. We want to we make this relevant and continue to make it relevant for you. So until next time, have a great and wonderful week and happy drinking. Be well. <laughs>